Boys Block, Survival of the Fittest, proudly presented by the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, limitless paper in a paperless world. That's Dunder Mifflin. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics, like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man on the box to the left is... David Avaloni, filmmaker, comic book writer, and uh, cat dad. And, and ba bathing cat dad. I feel very sorry for the people listening to this on iTunes who are not getting to watch my cat bathing herself over my shoulder. Yeah, we already have a guest. I love it. Um, so, so if you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, John Lehman, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, excellent show for you today, uh, but we have a few plugs before then. Avalone, go ahead and uh, uh, fire away first. Uh, currently, I have out in shops um, Elvira meets Vincent Price. Your shop may be sold out of issue one, but issue two is coming in a week and a half. Uh, there will be at least five of them. There we go. There is a signed copy. You can pick up the rare unsigned Avalone at uh, your local uh, comic book shop. And Ryland, what do you got going on? Uh, my latest and greatest, uh, it is a, uh, a bonkers tokusatsu joint uh, called Suicide Jockeys. Uh, tokusatsu for the uninitiated is the Japanese sci-fi action genre that includes uh, gems like Super Sentai and Power Rangers. And it also includes kaiju fare like Godzilla. Um, in a nutshell, uh, Suicide Jockeys is uh, Fast and the Furious meets Voltron. Um, it is howling at the moon, good fun. Uh, when last I checked, I think cover A is sold out. Uh, we have our cover B, which I don't think I have lying around, but it is a, uh, yeah, yeah. it is a, uh, our, our roadhouse variant, um, which I'm very proud of. It may be one of the, uh, the, the better kind of crazy, uh, um, variants that we've done. Uh, we've taken Patrick Swayze out and put our, uh, our, our beloved Denver in, but anyway, we've, go out and get we've that. Replaced, we've replaced cat Patrick Swayze with our main character. Let's see if these <laughs> coffee drinkers notice. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, let's get to it. Too much fun and already. Our, our guests today are Skylar Patridge Hello. and Ben Bishop. Yo! Welcome, kids. Hello. Nice to see you. Skylar, tell, tell, the, tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Skylar Patridge, and I'm a comic artist. Uh, most recently worked on Resonant from Vault Comics, and I've worked for DC Marvel, uh, currently working with Dark Horse, things from Z2, just kind of across the board there. Um, upcoming, I've got a Gotham City Villains anthology coming out this fall. Nice. Very nice. Very cool. And Ben Bishop. Tell us who you are, Ben Bishop. My name's Ben Bishop. I'm in Maine. I'm a comic creator, uh, self-publisher, writer, artist, all that stuff. Been self-publishing comics since I was 18, and they kicked me out of art school because <laughs> I couldn't pay for it. Um, so weird. But um, ever since then, those oh. led to other projects. Um, like a project I do with Mr. David Avalon called Drawing Blood, um, which is a great story we do about the, it's the fictional true story of, of how the turtles were created, kind of, but instead of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's the radically rearranged running ragdolls who are named after famous anime directors, Miyazaki, Kazuka, and Atomo. And I'm sure David's probably already told you guys about this, but 
if you didn't get that episode, we do that together. Um, currently on the final issue of a big book I've been doing, in addition to Drawing Blood, uh, which is called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Last Ronin. Um, and it's been four issues now, and I've got a couple pages in issue five. And, and then it's back to Drawing Blood full time. And when Drawing Blood is wrapping, it's back to my creator on stuff. Um, this book called The Aggregate, which I published here at Split Decision Comics. And it's the world's first Split Decision comic, which is kind of like an old choose your own adventure book. But this one's a comic, and it's got giant robots and spider cats. I've been up to. Love it. It is a great book and it's very complicated. And I've I've read it a few times through in different orders. And I'm amazed that Ben can keep it straight while he's doing it. Because well, this I, is this yeah. is the script. I have the script right here. You can see all the tabs. Right. <laughs> and then even like briefly just like all my notes that yeah. someday have to make it into the actual document on the computer, which I don't know how that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what happened with book one. I was like sending the pages to pages to Brittany Peer to color. And uh, she'd be like, what page is this? I have no idea. Cause even in the script, there's no page numbers. Cause I don't know where it's going to land and when you're going to jump to what. So every scene is just named as a scene. It's very confusing for colorist. <laughs> We should say too that uh, that that Ben is sitting literally like feet from a giant, beautiful, rushing river, and so and so. Is it loud? It's see. There we go. Uh, 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 this is great radio. Uh, folks with the video can see how gorgeous it is, uh, but but is folks it? listening can, oh. can hear the majesty of the <laughs> of the river. I'll put in it's both heads. It's funny because we sat around and we talked for about 10 minutes before we got going and I don't yeah. think I heard it at all. And then suddenly we hit record button and it sounds like you're, so, you're standing under a waterfall. It's pretty funny, but. Oh my God. Is it better now or the same? Cause I'll close the window. It sounds fine. It's better. Yeah. 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 It's a little yeah. better. What do you think now? But yeah. So, uh, you know, lovely to have you both on. Uh, I wanted to talk today Thanks. about, Survival, I mean, and specifically how we all survived the last, how you all got through the last 18 months. Uh, but more generally, you know, survival as a freelancer is always a questionable thing that we're trying to figure out. And, uh, you know, so we'll start with how did you survive the last 18 months and then move on to more general from there. Skylar, why don't you kick us off? Um, yeah, I think the I survived the last 18 months by being massively overscheduled, which is not the right way to be. But I mean, it is, but it isn't. Um, so yeah, I was I didn't stop working. And that was kind of how I survived was knowing I, I had to, to get work into people. Um, so a lot of my a lot of the anxiety I think I would have spent being stressed and worried about what was happening and what is still happening. Uh, I was able to sort of channel into my work. Um, and was and that was that publishers because you know there was pencils down for a lot of publishers during that time yeah the i was working on resident at the time so vault still had a green light to go ahead so i worked through with vault and then i was also working on some indie stuff and so those were still everything was still go for all of that so i was really fortunate that i i had pencils up orders for for everything that i was working on at the time that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like I had some Kickstarter work that held over 
uh, and even one of the publishers, Dynamite, did a, a Kickstarter when with Elvira when the shops were closed. So that sort of filled in the gap that would have been there during the big pencils down that went pretty much across the board. Uh, ben, what, how did you get through? Um, when it first came down that, you know, everything was going to change for like a whole year and it was starting to hit me, I felt okay because, like you said, we had um, Drawing Blood Kickstarter. So like a lot of the books I had and in, in actually the only things I had in process at the time was Aggregate Book 2, which was kickstarted already, and Drawing Blood Book 2, which was kickstarted already. So I was feeling pretty good as far as like being able to continue working and, and make a page rate and, and um, you know, get that book out. But it didn't consider in any of the mental health of the entire thing. And so I'd be working on page like 35 of the 250 page book and it's beautiful outside. She had to stop working, for example. And it's like, why aren't I like experiencing life and enjoying this time? And, you know, I can't focus anyway and I'm creating garbage. So it's hard to get like back in the saddle and back to work and going like, what's really important? Like, like I can work myself to death, which I have since I was 18, but like, it's now really the time when like the capital's on fire and all this stuff. And I was just like, man. So that was the hardest thing for me was just like getting back into my own work ethic and my own drive and, and things that I've had my whole life. And, and cause art has always been, and, and also like climbing that ladder and comics and stuff has always been like top priority. Like this is all that matters. It's like, I'm going to be the youngest comic artist ever, which didn't happen, but it's like, <laughs> all I wanted, you know, was to race, race, race. And, and I was doing that. And then I was like, man, I kind of want to like go sit in a tube in the river and like, breathe and like a lot of stuff happened like i got into meditations and journaling and stuff and like mental health is crazy crazy important and i feel so good now and now i'm in a place where i'm like what am i stressed out about i was like i'm doing this book drawing blood with like the co-creator of the freaking ninja turtles and david avaloni of the huge audience <laughs> that loves it and i was like i'm on last ronin like this book is doing gangbusters people love it i was like i have no reason to to really be like glum or whatever. And, and you think about that like perspective and like, keeps you going. Um, as far as like financially and how I uh, kept the lights on, like when I didn't, wasn't doing those Kickstarter things rather than just like change. <laughs> um, I built up my, I mean, as you guys probably experienced the collector's market when people are at home and they're not out at shows and they're not spending money on dinners and, and going to the movies and stuff, it's kind of exploded. And so I beefed up my online store, the Bish store, bishart.net. And like that thing just churns now, which is awesome. It's like a real store. Like we'll find people are trying to use like old coupon codes like you would for Michael's crafts or something. <laughs> like they're searching them online because it's like, it's like so forward facing a good website which i really like um so that's been helpful and then in addition to that like i run this fan club uh the bishart kids club which i think at the start of 2020 we had maybe 75 members and now 270 something um and so it's really like taken off it's a monthly club with quarterly boxes and every box is all exclusive stuff that i make that quarter just for that box and so but more than that, it's this big community. We have this Discord channel where they're all chatting all day long with like 37 different topics from like Marvel spoilers to marijuana to like kids. <laughs> and they just talk all day. And when they're having a rough time, they they lean on each other and they're like, can anyone talk right now? We've got video chan 
and all it's like it's crazy like that what people wanted is that community the same thing you said about the show is that you want those conversations amongst uh creators and peers and stuff that you're missing from these shows and i think what i did in the club for those people and for myself has been a lot of that so do you think last ronin drove that membership bump i would assume oh yeah yeah yeah, it was big, and, and every time we had an issue sale on the site, like, it all just goes back and forth. Every time we had a big, like, sale day, we would run promotions, and the Bish kids also get special pricing and an hour early access, and so everyone's like, why wouldn't I, you know? And, and so it's just, like, thinking about how you can make, like, this aspect of your, your business or your interests, like, feed the other ones and keep things going without it being too much, which at times it is, and I'm just like, what the hell, I just want to be drawing, like I was saying this morning. Um, it's good. It's all good problems. The same as Skylar overbooking yourself. It's a good problem to <laughs> yeah. have. But I just got to get it done now. I'm so glad you brought up the mental health thing because that's yeah. that's the unspoken challenge, you know, that or they should they they challenge. Now, I know we all know people who flamed out this year and who couldn't, you know, could who had work and couldn't do it, who were too depressed to work, who dropped out for a while. Uh, and I have nothing but sympathy for that. Um, the last issue of Drawing Blood, which Ben is currently doing layouts on and doing pencils on, uh, involves a complete nervous breakdown of the main character. And I was writing it like the week before the election in 2020. And that was a bad time for me to be writing about a man having suicidal thoughts and thinking the world was coming to an end. And, you know, uh, but it was also kind of weirdly therapeutic to go, no, let's, okay, let's let's write 24 pages about trauma and sadness and depression and how you get through it. And, uh, you know, and over the summer I had done a Kickstarter that was a comedy that kind of was about the pandemic. And 10 pages in, I was like, boy, do I really want to be fucking writing about a plague that ends the world uh, yeah. in the summer of 2020? Is that funny? Uh, and I think ultimately it worked out, but the decision to go, fuck it, let's dive face first into this thing and deal with it. Like that's, we all have our own coping me mechanisms. What mine was, what's funny about people taking cleaning fluid to yeah. avoid getting COVID? That's funny, right? It's a little funny. Well, I, I, I think dealing with it in a meaningful way is, is very important. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I've heard this a lot and it's like, um, I mean, the, the beauty of this pandemic is that it gave us time, right? All those things that we couldn't get to, we, we, you know, we have now time to do them, time to explore them, all of that. that for some, that was a godsend. Uh, for others, like the real problem with the pandemic was they had a lot of time, right? And so unscheduled time uh, ends up being time to think, time to ruminate, time to stew, time for all that shit you've been running from to catch up with you, right? Um, uh, and, and for some, it was both. I think for me, it was some, some mixture of the two. And I see this on, I see this on Zen retreats all the time. One of my, for the uninitiated, one of the like weirder lines on my bio that, that, that isn't, isn't explored too often is that I happen to be a, an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. And, uh, and, and for years that meant twice a year, I went up to the Mount Baldy Zen Center with a group of people and we had this, you know, retreat, uh, where we were meditation retreat where we're staring at a wall for, for days on end. Right. Um, I, I want to do you want that. in Ben. I'm going to talk to you about that. You want to? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I, 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 yeah. Yes. Like 
<laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'll sign you. I'll oh, no, just tell you, yeah. like, Go ahead. I'm, I'm into it. I'm telling you, like, this, this mental health stuff. This yeah. when you crack, like, even a fraction of it, you feel like you have superpowers. Like you're like, yeah, oh, crap. And, yeah. and it gets more and more like that. Yeah, and so, so for some, you know, I mean, some going up to Mount Baldy again is this godsend. It's like, okay, well. Well, I'm I'm in this grinder. I work I work this horrible day job, you know that 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 just rings me out every day. I'm completely exhausted, completely tired. I don't have time for for myself for soul food. And some people come up to the mountain and they're there for five days or whatever, and they have this magical experience that's restorative, uh, 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 both from a physical standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. And and, and they walk up. The other like half of the people, um, they come up, and again they have spent. They spend their days running from all the shit that ails them, right? Uh, uh, you know, family stuff and and psychological stuff and childhood stuff and all that. Um, and they, they keep themselves so crazy busy all day um, uh, that they can't possibly deal with it. They're just running and running and running. Well, you get up to Mount Baldy, and 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 your phone doesn't work, and your wife's not there, and your kid's not there, and your boss is not there to yell at you, um, and all you have are your thoughts and all you <laughs> and what happens is all that shit you've been running from it catches up to you at the same time and it tackles you and it beats the living shit out of you and some people literally have you know breaks there you know um yeah. and usually almost always they come out the other side of it right and 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 so i feel like That's... um th 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 this this 18 month version of mount baldy played out for all of us right yeah Oh, that I was going to say that I, you were going there anyway, but it was yeah. like, that's therapy. That's, you know, yeah. addressing it. If David was addressing it. Journaling is saying like writing it down, uh, being aware of your thoughts and just having appreciation and things like that. It's just like recognizing it, doing something about it and then like letting it go. And so you going up there is the same as, you know, and in, in those people who have been running from their problems are forced to face them the same way that David was like, I got to write this script and I got to write it right now. And and it's all the better because you were living a fraction of that. I think. Yeah, um, I think a lot of art is like that. Well, and you know, and and, and as a writer or any kind of storyteller, you're like, what happens to you every day is text. What you feel about it is the subtext. And if you you ignore the subtext at your peril, uh, the subtext will bite you in the ass if you're not paying attention to it. Because ultimately, that's the real story. Uh, the real story isn't I went to the supermarket. The real story is what I <laughs> experienced at the supermarket that made me feel a thing, that made me sad, happy, whatever. Uh, can you tell I just got home from the supermarket? Uh, <laughs> the lamest possible example I could pick. I don't know if you feel that, Ben, but I, I find that doing art every day I didn't, I didn't specifically have that freedom to just like have time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I would have those waves of like breakdown while working mm -hmm. because you sit there in your head with your headphones in and whether yeah. you want to or not, even if you're fixated on a storyline that you're really into, there's always the little thing going on in the back of your head about, you know, I should be yeah, it, in the river in a tube. I should be doing something yeah. worthwhile because what if this is it? Uh, and so, I don't know, I, I found myself, I don't think I was nearly as on it as everybody here seems to be as far as mental health goes. Um, but a lot of it was me trying to work through 
all of those mm -hmm. feelings while working, um, which is yeah. not healthy, but that was kind of the reality that I was in. I didn't have that time to, mm -hmm. to, I mean, you know, I did my little things, you know, was walk my dogs. That was such a therapeutic yeah. thing for me every day was to go out and I'm near hiking trails. So I could go out and walk, you know, an hour with my dogs every day. And so that was the thing that That's was like awesome. a reset for me so I could keep functioning. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that time to really, take a breath and focus on any of those those little things that get us yeah. through yeah i i hear you on the dog walks and stuff one thing that i started doing like process wise was i mean i've always written the times on my pages just because like, it's good to know like when i started working and i'll write other notes like what music i'm listening to because i think it's fun to look back on but i noticed like after i've had my like i started working on my mental health and, and thinking about all this stuff I, I took more breaks. I didn't punish myself. Uh, I used to like not pee until I finished the panel. I'd be like, no, I got it. I'm not getting up until I do this. I'm not eating until I do this. And now it's just like, I go pee or I go, I, I will literally, I have three skateboards here and I just go in a circle like three times and then sit back down. And I used to think like, man, I'm getting up all the time, not getting anything done. But I look at the timestamps and it's exactly the same. It's like five hours or something. And it's, it's the difference between being grueling and mean to yourself all day and like stressing about like oh this panel's taking way too long or just going like i know how to do this like i've been doing this my whole life if i literally can kind of like <laughs> have an out-of-body experience the best stuff is going to come out so i need to relax and be good to myself good to myself take breaks piss like it's been awesome <laughs> it's been a lot better that's super interesting to know see i yeah. that's one of the things i kind of dealt with last year was realizing that i have ADHD. Um, yeah. And so interrupting myself is usually like a death sentence for my productivity. Yeah. So I have to trying to figure out how small the break to take has been uh, definitely a, a journey for me. Because if yeah. I take too long a break, then I'm off and I'm doing something else. But if I if I can function and get the glass of water or something, then you know, mm -hmm. it's usually a little easier. I struggle with that too. And the moment you check like one thing on your phone, you check everything right. on your phone. <laughs> Um, and so it's like I try to just leave it far right. away and I have respond to, to that come up message. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, there are fantasy football trades to be made. OK, so come exactly. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I definitely do the uh, I have done the you can't eat lunch until you write five pages thing. Yeah. And uh, that can be a little brutal. But usually, you know, honestly, I work fast enough that I can go. No, I can, I, you know, when it's three o'clock and you haven't had lunch because you made yourself that promise, then it's time to go, screw it, man, have a sandwich and you'll finish these pages. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, yeah. I mean, and I'll be completely honest, this dumb thing, I got myself an Apple watch this year and it is set up to every couple of hours, tell me to take a deep fucking breath and close my eyes. Uh, That's good. And, and uh, it's a, it's a goofy thing, but like just having that, you know, it requires me to, uh, you know, take a certain amount of steps every day or it yells at me. It requires me to take a few deep breaths or it yells at me. It's a, uh, it, it, it's a mindfulness bill. I mean, this is a, you know, they, they've been, Buddhists have been doing this for 2000 years, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, right. uh, there, there's an app, there's a phone app that's really good called the mindfulness bell. And, um, and when you, uh, I have a bell here but they have a very good bell on the app and it's just every, you, you can set it for whatever, but I have it set every 15 minutes. I hear, Jeez. and it just, it just, just calls you to the sound. 
you take three breaths, you recenter yourself, and then you go about your day. Um, and yeah, that's like just just reminding you to be in the moment, to be here. You know, um, uh, we're gonna get into a weird meditation discussion. I don't want to get too far off, but, no, but a, this is look. If I like there's that anything stuff. comic book creators need to know. It's how to fucking manage being a person who sits at a desk all day, yeah, and, yeah still, well, and still be sane. Yeah. You know? So, so, so you know, so meditation. There's this fantasy about meditation that it's about being in the moment 100% of the time, right? That you become this magical being who's just right here, you know, 100% focused all the time. That's not what meditation is. Meditation is just simply about the act of coming back, right? You're, you're, the, the the idea is is to be here and to be in the moment. But what happens is you're sitting there, you're in the moment, right? For for your you're sitting there for your 20 minutes. You're in the moment there, and then you start to make a grocery list, right? <laughs> and the act of meditation is just noticing, oh shit, I'm making a grocery list and coming back, right? Uh, and then you're here again, and then you start thinking about your asshole neighbor who's being too loud, right? And you notice mm-hmm. it, and you come back. And the act of meditation is simply about coming back over and over. And over again, and then when you're out in the world, uh, uh, it, 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 it becomes, you know, you train your body in these perfect circumstances. It's quiet. You don't have a lot of stuff going around. But then you carry that out into the world, right? And then it becomes easier when you're out in the world to come back to some sort of insight, to, you know, to, to come back to the moment, to come back to your breathing, to come back to, to, to whatever, right? And so, um, and so the trick ends up being like, well, you can, you can do that, you know, I don't want to say easily, but you can learn how to do that um, uh, pretty effectively when you're on a meditation cushion, you know, for, for that 20 yeah. minutes or 30 minutes or for whatever. But again, bringing it out in the world becomes a, uh, uh, becomes a chore in and of itself. It is a puzzle to solve. And things like the mindfulness bell that, again, every 15 minutes will remind you, hey, you're too far out. Come on back. Hey, you're too yeah. far out. Come on back. I think any, you know, any way we can sort of remind ourselves to come back again to recenter yourselves, to to focus on you, to focus on the moment, is a great thing because that is the problem over and over again. When when I'm talking to creators, they're just lost. They're just way out to sea, right? They're so far out they can't even see the way back, right? And and that's when we get in trouble. That's when I get in trouble. Um, and so I think anything that kind of keeps us, you know, reminds us to come back here, shows us the way back here. Yeah, there's so much to it. It's crazy. Like and. Like even just the breathing, like you said, like if you're drawing a page and your mind is wandering, like focus on your breath and you'll stop thinking about like your shopping list and stuff and you'll just like be breathing and then just pure oxygen like going in, I feel better. You know what I mean? And yeah. and then you, you kind of like, we'll do what you did. You grab that thought, you take note of it and you like, oh, okay, is that worth my time right now? Like, what do I want to be thinking about right now? I'm listening to this audiobook right now on hyper-focus and it's all the same stuff. It's like everything yeah. comes back to like, therapy and like noticing that or knowing that like you're you may be the center of your world but like no one else is thinking about you at any given point you don't even if you owe thousands of kickstarter hackers a book like they know it's a book and they don't want you to die of stress like like you don't have to be as hard on yourself um i hate to say this right after kickstarter but truly like nothing is urgent like when an email comes in it's like you can get through it when you get through it like do what's making you happy and like Skylar, you using your art as your as your therapy throughout is exact. It's exactly what it is. And I guess the goal is to be drawing stuff that you do care about and you do love. And if you recognize that you do, like all three books I'm working on now are books like that for me. And so I feel like like I always have rarefied air as I spout all this out because I'm like in such a good place. Like 
with the books on my plate. Like I love them all. And so I get it. But if you can be like, man, I'm so lucky to be drawing this, you know, it's, sure. it's really nice. Yeah. Well, that was something that I think I, I found myself doing. I've talked a little bit about that on other, mm. with other people, um, is you talk about hyper-focus and that's something that I, yeah. would, I have a problem with. <laughs> where yeah, I me too. That's why I'm reading a book. Then, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like five hours later, I'll be like, oh God that wasn't the plan for the, the afternoon. Um, but I have yeah. found that one of the better things for me to do while still kind of staying in, in an art mindset is I have notebooks around where my workstation and I have mm. uh, actually, if I'm working digitally, I've got files open that are purely just me dicking around. Like it's not meant I'm to- so envious yeah, of it's that. It's not <laughs> meant to share all the time. There's stuff that makes no sense but to anybody but me just chicken right. scratches there's stuff that i've turned into you know prints yeah. there's stuff that's become things but it it's purely just like i'm doing this for me to reset my brain or if i get to like a, a moment of like i can't work on this page anymore then i'll stop and i'll yeah. go over and i'll just draw something that's purely self-indulgent and you know maybe i spend two minutes on it maybe i maybe i wind up hyper focusing and spending right. three hours on it um, yeah. So that's that's the slippery slope, but that was a huge thing in in making it so that I didn't hate sitting down to work every day, especially last year. I need yeah. to do no. more of that. And I do that. I do that somewhat as a writer. I mean, the trick the trick is not getting into a space where you're slave driving yourself and knowing that there's a point at which you should stare off into space and do nothing and listen to music and look at a tree and watch the birds in the bird feeder. I'm watching the birds in the bird feeder. Um, <laughs> But I definitely this year have gotten into the thing of I'm I have this fairly large backlog of old stuff that I've never transitioned into comic stuff, story ideas that make great comics that were movie pitches 20 years ago that I just lie, lie flat, fallow. And I've gotten better at if I'm staring at a page for an hour and I haven't added a line to it, I open an old project, write a page of that, and it may never go anywhere. The page of a screenplay I started writing in 1988, and it's meaningless, and it's got nowhere to go, and it's got no one that I'm, no one's waiting for it, no one wants to read it, no one cares about it, but it just, that journaling, like Ben said, it's when you're a writer particularly, it's, it's still writing, and it still activates that part of you that's writing. When I see sketches, sometimes, uh, Friends of mine will post like warm-up sketches, and I'm like, I'm so awed by how good the warm-up sketch that no one's ever going to see. It's never going to be in a book. That's not going to be sold anywhere. That's just oh, I doodled this thing and I put it on Instagram, and I'm like, I'm so envious of that talent. Uh, but also, I can see where it's relaxing. And as I said earlier, I use music a lot uh, to get into the meditative uh, state to write. My favorite, I recommend this to people. Not everyone likes movie soundtrack music, but the best thing for me to work with is great soundtracks to terrible movies that I don't remember. Because the music yes. is great, but it evokes no specific imagery. That's a really good idea. 20, I love thematic music when I work. Yeah. 20 years ago when I, I, was cutting a, I was cutting a bad movie and I just needed to focus on it, uh, I went out, I had seen this bad Sylvester Stallone movie called The Specialist. But it was scored by John Barry, who scored all the James Bond movies. 
So it's sort of like this James Bond movie score that doesn't make you think about a specific scene in a James Bond movie. So it's very, very evocative and emotional and haunting and all this, but the images can be whatever is in your head instead of the terrible, terrible movie. Uh, yeah. You know, when I wrote The Shadow for Dynamite once, and it was such a gift that Jerry Goldsmith wrote the score to the absolutely terrible Shadow movie. Because I was like, here's a soundtrack for my comic book that has nothing to do with an Alec Baldwin movie I saw once in the 90s. <laughs> you know? While we're on the topic of music, one of the, the big innovations of my crazy writing office uh, during the pandemic was uh, um, some of you can see it. The people listening can't. I bought a karaoke machine. Um, <laughs> and so it just sits in my office and it's awesome. And so uh, I try to give myself on and off about an hour a day uh, uh, on it. And, you know, a lot of times I will save the hour up for the end of the day. So I pick my daughter up at five. I'll, I'll work solid about out of hell until four. And I have from four to, you know, five to sing fucking Neil Diamond sins or whatever. And it, uh, so, sometimes it's, um, you know, sometimes I am in a, a, a deep, like shoveling through shitty work emails, you know, for, for hours sort of thing. And I know I have to hop on with, you know, you guys or something like that at a certain time. And I know that I'm going to be in a bad foggy mood uh, if I go right from the emails to whatever. And so give me uh, give me five minutes on the karaoke machine to do like Bed of Roses by Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> screaming my head off uh and then i will uh, i will be restored you know um uh so if i find myself in too bad a mood um uh i remind myself that i need to to come back to uh uh, uh whatever it is and a lot of times the road back is bon jovi <laughs> so um, yes. so if you don't have one i highly recommend it uh it has restored my soul in a number of ways so uh, and singing singing is great for physical and mental health. I mean, it's uh, it's incredibly good for you. <laughs> if you well, the beauty of having your own machine is like you can try anything and do anything. You know, I mean, I've, I've been a karaoke enthusiast my entire life and it used to be you had to go to a bar and you got to pick like a song that, you know, like the hundred people in a bar are gonna love and you want it to be a song that you're gonna nail because you're there with your friends and you don't want to look like a jerk. Um, uh, and so, you know, there's been an evolution in my, in my karaoke. And so, so what happened is we eventually moved to private rooms, right? So it's you, five of your friends. The beauty there is you're not doing like a song an hour or something like that. You, you do a ton of songs, you get the room for three hours, you got all your friends there, you're having a good time, you're making each other laugh, you can take some shots that you wouldn't take otherwise. Um, but again, that wasn't enough because like, well, my friends are, you know, my friends are taking up a lot of the time. <laughs> there are certain songs I don't want to do in front of my friends. So, so the evolution was the karaoke plays close by. They do a happy hour where from like, you know, the time they open until four o'clock, it's like $5 an hour per person, uh, even if it's one person. And so I would go in, I would get a private room for three or four hours on my own. Uh, it would end up costing me 15 to $20 at the end, and I would try everything. It's like, you know what? I'm only going to do Elton John and Billy Joel tunes today. <laughs> and some That's of them crazy. are going to be terrible. I'm going to take my shots. But I, I, I have now become, you know, super karaokeist uh, uh, in the, um, you know, during the pandemic. I have my own unit. Um, uh, every song ever imaginable and weird variations on every song ever imaginable are on YouTube. Uh, it's Bluetooth compatible. You find what you want to find on YouTube, uh, and 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 it's all there, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing. 
Um, and you can see me getting excited excited about it now. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe next time you guys are on, I'll I'll do a song for you, but not not this time. Please, please. <laughs> yeah. Look, whatever. And you know, while we're speaking about things that center you and make you comfortable in the world and give you sanity. I have reached back to pet my cat, who is a work companion, as you can see, who uh, keeps yeah. me company. We've seen uh, Ben's dog running by in the background a few times. And we yeah, there's, there's two of them. They, there you go. They come back and forth with me every day. Nice. People at Dunkin' Donuts are like, any bones for the kiddos today? And they miss them when I don't bring them. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually, I've thought about working in an out-of-home office. And for various mm -hmm. reasons, I haven't done it. But one of the biggest reasons is you can't take cats back and forth every day. <laughs> no. I thought of having, like, a studio cat that was just always here, like, in uh, Darn Blood. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think, I don't want a cat blog. They usually find you, those kinds of cats. Yes. That's true. <laughs> if it happens, it happens. I'm on a river. Right. Yeah. When the when a cat shows up at the door and walks in past you, I've had friends. We have one cat uh, that my wife has had since before we met, and it's literally she opened her apartment door and a black cat just kind of walked in and sat on her couch and just like, well, that was easy. <laughs> you know, I guess I have a cat, I have a cat now. <laughs> uh, a little, that cat used to live there. Little black kitten. Yeah, possibly. But uh, so it's some spirit some spirit of someone who used to live there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, I'm so glad we had the um, the conversation about mental health because it's so, you know, it's, 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 uh, there's so much pressure to be fine. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. You know, meeting deadlines and, you know, the number one excuse I give to people, or not excuse, the number one advice I give to people is never blow a deadline without telling somebody in advance that you're about to do it. Uh, and people yeah. will be more understanding than you think. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people set, this is, this is what no publisher wants you to know, but they set deadlines knowing that you're going to blow them and they build a week, two weeks, maybe even a month into the deadline that they actually gave you. You should still try to make it, but if you know you're not going to, they appreciate the world out of, look, I need three more days and then I'll have it for you. And then generally they're fine, you know, uh, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. And this year, you know, this was a year in spite of people having time, this was a year of a lot of blown deadlines for people and a lot of slow work because you'd get out of bed and not be able to face it, you know? And, uh, we forget like last summer, it's easy to forget, you know, you remember the, the, the reelection nonsense, you remember the, uh, the COVID there were also riots all last summer. The cities were yeah, on. Yeah, that's what you know. That's that's when things really started. Like for me, being okay, I'm staying home. Like you know, I bought a I bought a battery operated radio and a baseball bat off Amazon of all places. But I was like, if something happens, I don't want a gun. I don't have a gun. I was like, I just need a bat radio because if like the internet's down, no one knows what the hell's happening. Right. <laughs> like we're screwed. So right. it was. I never had to put batteries in it though. I still have it, but <laughs> but I'm hoping. I don't know. I felt like at a certain point, maybe it was just when I got my my steam back and started rolling again, and felt like things were definitely getting better. Um, and I see now it's smoking again. 
for people mentally, but also like things closing back down and, you know, uh, everything. Uh, and so I'm hoping that people can have learned from the last year as far as like their coping mechanisms and things and know that there is a way to try to power through as long as you're healthy and things like that. Hopefully. That's my feeling, speaking out loud, so it's real. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> you know, you have to cut yourself a break uh, for yeah. what we've all been through. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it's been since 1946 that there was an entire planet with PTSD. Like, there hasn't been an event that wherever you lived, whoever you are, whatever you did, it absolutely affected you. There was no escaping it. And that's everyone. Everyone you see went through that for the last 18 months. And what Ben's talking about, I think, partially like some people expected, oh, everyone will get the vaccine and it'll be fine. Everyone, you know, it's like, turns out no, if the, only. The, the people that made our lives miserable last year are still out here making our lives miserable and COVID can't take them all. So, uh, you know, you have to... <laughs> you have to just sort of power through and do your best. And, you know, uh, Rylan and I started this partially because we were missing conventions and they haven't quite come back even yet to, you You know, this is our second year without San Diego and, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was just, I, I was talking to my wife this morning and, and um, uh, because uh, uh, panel submissions just opened up for LA Comic Con in December. Yeah. And like, I, I, I thought it was going to be a no brainer. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm definitely back to LA Comic Con in December. And now I'm like, I don't know, you know? And it, it, in fact, I did kind of an, kind, yeah. did kind of an informal poll where it's like, okay, well, if I was gonna, I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of panels. I organize and moderate a lot of panels at Comic Con. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I've been without them for a long time and I'm excited to get back in, but I did kind of an informal poll of people I would usually kind of put in the game. And I was surprised at how many are like, yeah, we're, we're out until sometime next year. We don't even know yet, you know? And, and, um, and I, I was not expecting that, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm very much on the fence. Like I, I, I thought December would be a no brainer and it's not anymore. And I, yeah. and, and I honestly don't know, I don't know when, you know, what is, is it, is it San Diego next year? I, I don't know. You know, when yeah. I'm signed up, I've, I've got two tables at New York that I paid for. I have a small press one in the artist alley and I'm like, just wishing I hadn't so that it yeah. wasn't even on my, on my mind. Cause I yeah. mean, at the time I paid for them, it was like, things are getting better. This is going to be great. Yeah. And then I just should have known like nothing's certain, you know, um, I'm not necessarily not going to go. I'm still on the fence. I'm going to play it by year, but it's just a bummer for sure. Well, well, they, I mean, there, there, and there are a ton of people that a ton of people in your New York boat. They're, they're the same thing, where it's like I've made this substantial investment. I feel like you know New York is always such an opportunity, um, and uh, and and you know now I don't feel comfortable going. Or you're hearing all these things like New York is going to tighten up. Like oh, now you need a COVID passport, like a specific document to even get in, and and you know and and how do we go about getting that and and, and all of this stuff. Um, I mean the uh, you know the the. the you know the people you know w with kind of the most stake in that boat we've all made an investment but but my publisher source point press they're like they're one of the primary sponsors they have mm -hmm. they have paid to have basically a freighter in the middle of the new york comic-con floor uh mm -hmm. they have paid to sponsor the badges this is like a you know this is a a a, a small whatever you want to call yeah. middle tier publisher um yeah. who there was an opportunity because people were a little antsy. And so it's like, okay, well, we're going to go all in here. We're going to spend way more, more money than, than, than we should. 
yeah. uh, because it's it's it, this is going to be a this is going to be a coming out party for the for the publisher. And now, like, well, you know, I mean, it's probably going to happen, but but what version of it is going to happen, right? Um, yeah. and, and what is all that money getting you right now? Are, are you you're associated with the COVID gun? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what is uh? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's just weird. I don't know. And they had the same, it sounds like they had that same like brief moment I did where I was like, it's going to be the roaring 20s. Yeah. Like everything's going to open back up. We've all yeah. got this money. We're going to go out. We're going to watch movies. We're going to, I was like, I would see every movie that comes out right now. <laughs> like, like if it was safe enough, I just want to go to the movies. And I think, and then it was just not like, damn, now we're waiting again. Even December is the mystery. For sure. Thanks guys. Yeah, well, and I think that that's, you mentioned it earlier, not to circle back to mental health, but it's, I think that's a big strain is that it, the the longevity of this has been so sustained. You know, we have these moments of thinking it's getting better, and then we're right back where we started. Or, yeah, it, there's really no, no clear cut horizon to look at right now. And I think that that's really heavy for a lot of people. Yeah, it's the uncertainty for sure. And then the, the industry as a whole, I suppose, like with all these people changing distributors and shops that can get creative. I guess I'll just draw this and see what things are like when I come back <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other thing about this in a very real way, the pandemic years have been a stress test for everything in society and all of the stuff that was un like the number of people going to comic cons was always unsafe it was always too many people and we always all got yeah. sick and we just sort of put up with yeah. like if they had if they moving forward if they decided to cap attendance at 75 percent of what it has always been that's what it should be greed shouldn't be the thing like there should be an idea of like no, it shouldn't be impossible to physically move on the convention floor in San Diego on Saturday. Yeah, like yeah, it's it, we, we we've talked about this before. I mean, it's it's weird that you know there is a name for this phenomenon. You know, yeah. I mean, Concred. <laughs> you, you, you're you're a new creator. You can learn about Concred very quickly. And 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 you know, again, we talked about this on a, a different show, but it's like, but you would even like you would remember cons based on like who got sick or who got what kind yeah. of sick. It's like, Oh yeah. Baltimore, uh, uh, 2019. That was the con where Erica Schultz got pneumonia. Um, you know, it was just like, that was, that was one of the things you remembered. Like, Oh yeah, there were the Ringos that year and then the pneumonia, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's like those things should not be, you know, yeah, I think we should be wearing masks at cons anyway, yeah. <laughs> at least the, <laughs> yeah, or at least the people who are walking down the aisle yeah. just in this like slow ooze of a human like collage of people, they should have masks on. Yeah, They're that's so what I've always said is I would I would I would probably sit behind my table with a mask off, but between the lobby and my table, I am going yeah. to have a fucking mask on, I think, going forward. I cannot see myself walking. I used to hold my breath anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to hold my breath anyway. I do it yeah. at airports and stuff. I'm just like, let's see how far I can go. It's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, wearing mask on plane is a perfect example. Like, part of me is like, when would I ever take off a mask on an airplane ever again? Like, I, it was never good. You always showed up where you were going and got sick. It was, you know, it was always a bad yeah. idea. 
Well, there's such a thing on telling you to do that you should point the fan on your face. I remember that yeah. years ago, it was point the little air fan on your face to to hopefully blow germs away. And I was like, yeah. why didn't we just wear masks? Yeah, like, yeah. No, we'll, we'll point the recirculated air at, right at our face. Yeah, I always thought that that was the opposite. It was like, if I pointed at my face, everyone else's germs would get sucked into the wind tunnel. Who knows, that, right? It's, it's so recirculating through the plane things, and being blown into your face. Yeah. I always like to give Jerry Duggan a shout out because Jerry was fist bumping at cons like five years ago. <laughs> I think Jerry was a Jerry was ahead of the curve on the hygiene issue and how maybe don't shake hands with uh, 10,000 people over the course of the day uh, who you yeah. don't know where they've been. <laughs> you don't know. Or if you've been in the bathroom at a comic con, you should know never to shake hands. You do with know where the comic yeah. book you do know where they <laughs> <laughs> like literally watch all of the cosplayers not washing their hands before putting their outfits back on. It, it. used to this okay. is like a little sidebar, but it used to be even worse than what you're describing. There was one year at New York Comic Con, I went into the the bathroom there at the artist alley, the beautiful artist alley with <laughs> bless you. Bless you. Excuse which me. I hope Sorry, guys. which I which I hope we get back one day. But anyway, the water <sighs> somehow had flooded over ankle high. And people were still just walking in. And when they realized all the urinals were filled, people were just pissing on the floor. Like, I saw all these dicks, like, this direction, this direction. Just like, are you kidding me? Just because wow. it's water doesn't mean, like, it's a drain. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, it used that to be is bad. Worse still is bad. Am. That is the worst con hygiene yeah. story I have ever heard. And that's Absolutely. saying something. People were coming in and out. Like, they were just like, well, it's... I'm, the only chance I've got, and their feet are soaked, and like, it's just yeah. I think we all, should have, we all should have known that we were in trouble when there was such a big deal about people learning to wash their hands last year. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty seconds. That seems long. I mean, it's funny. Uh, I've always been. I've always been aware of that stuff because I am mildly allergic to cats, and I have cats. So I always have to like, I always have a, an idea in my mind of like, I just reached back to pet the cat, gotta wash my hands because I might touch my face in the next five minutes and that'll be a problem for me, rubbing cat dander all over my somewhat sensitive face. But yeah, uh, but yeah no, the, the New York Comic Con has always been a public health crisis. Uh, it has never not been, I don't know, how, I don't know what New York, building code allows you to have three bathrooms for 200,000 people. I don't, I don't know how that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what mob payoff was necessary to allow that building to be constructed, but holy shit, <laughs> you know, yeah, there are, uh, there are probably worse invention centers in the world, but that's, that's the one where the, the bathroom situation is just insane. Yeah. I feel Looking like directly I don't know to what Ben was talking about. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to talk about this here, but at San Diego, you can almost always find a stall, <laughs> at least yeah. for guys. I don't know about the girls, too, but they've got a lot more there, which is nice. Are you guys doing the uh, the Thanksgiving November San Diego? If that happens, I booked a hotel room. Whether it me will too. remain booked, <laughs> I mean, you know, Ryland's heard me say this a million times that I I think the idea of having a yearly convention. For people who aren't speaking to their families, is like the greatest convention <laughs> anyone has ever had. It's a great excuse. Here's this like, oh, preview. San Diego in in November. You know, like it's a it's a good 
it's a it's a good idea. Uh, and all the people who are complaining about it, I'm like, just go to. There are other conventions. There will be other conventions. Just skip the one. You would rather go to Thanksgiving dinner. That's absolutely a good call for you to make. But the world is full of people who do not have a happy place to go on Thanksgiving. And I say, give those people a comic book convention. Give them this one. I might go down for a uh, for a day. You know, depending on how the health stuff looks. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's like I got a four year old, and and yeah. you know got some family to deal with and so i have commitments i mean any other time it would be you know if they did it like a week later i would have got the hotel room and done the whole spiel now it's like well you know hopefully i can cannonball down there on a train for a saturday and say some hellos and uh i mean not surprisingly it's the best hotel reservation i've ever gotten for san diego Mm. where i'm you know two blocks from the convention center because it's this thing it's not you know it's not the usual it's not the standard situation well let me know let me know first if you cancel yours so i can see if it's better than mine <laughs> and then i'll, I'll decide <laughs> oh did you did you pick a hotel for too, the though. thanksgiving one yeah me and uh me and uh comics and ponies david oh, grabbed great. a couple rooms yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it's a, the, 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 I mean, lodging is like an interesting study because it's like my, my San Diego experience was always like, well, I get together with like five, six other creators and we, you know, we split, split an Airbnb. It's like a big party, you know, you're seeing all these people that you're cohabitating the whole night. That's no longer possible, right? Like, I, I don't want to be anywhere near those people. Yeah. <laughs> like, I used to sleep. I've slept in tubs. I've shared yeah, beds. Like, yeah. uh, not anymore. Nah. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. with one person. No, and of course, of course, twenty twenty was the one year that two days after Comic Con twenty nineteen, I booked a room in my favorite hotel in San Diego for relative because they hadn't locked it out yet. They hadn't locked yeah. out the date yet. I was like, if I do it fast enough, they won't realize that I'm booking. I won't be getting the convention rates. I'll just be getting their basic. Not cheap, but solid hotel rate for San Diego. Really yeah. nice little hotel in uh, Little Italy, which is still, it's not, it's a very long walk, but I'm, you know, my thing in San Diego now is I take a lift until it hits too much traffic. And usually that's three blocks and I can walk that. I, you know, the thing I most often say to lift drivers in San Diego is I'll just get out here. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can stop turn trying to get closer. You know, yeah. uh, I'll just I'll just get out here. The smart ones yeah. go on the five. For, I've realized, and this is just a you know hot tip for those of you who are going to need it ever again in San Diego. <laughs> the smart thing is to have them take you to the Bayfront Hotel, because if you tell them that, they go on the five freeway, get off right at the Bayfront Hotel, and you're right at the convention, and they're not in that gas lamp traffic. That's yeah. just pointed. coming at it from the other end. Yeah, yeah. coming at it from the other end. Coming at it from the door. south is the is the smart this is, move. This is some real inside baseball. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Have, I had a lift drive. I had a nightmare once, and I think I even was like running for a panel where I my hotel was right next to a, a five north on ramp, and my lift driver picked me up from the hotel and got on that ramp, and I was like, "Oh, what are you?" we're going back to Los Angeles now. And they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I think it was that thing of like, you do also have to be conscious that the week of the convention, a thousand people who have never driven for Lyft before 
sign up to yeah. be Lyft drivers because of the influx <laughs> and the need, and you end up with mm -hmm. some pretty hapless. But I had one drive like every direction but the one towards the convention center, and I did eventually. I think we I'll had gotten as we yeah we had gotten as far as like at least back to Old Town, and I was like, just let me off in Old Town, and I will figure out another way to the convention center. And yeah, it's yeah. a oh the oh I mean, the nightmares. If it turns out, you know, safe, if that it's like kind of a safe time and because it's Thanksgiving, it is at like 75% or something, it could be a really right. good show. And it might be less than 75%. It looks like Tyler yeah. has frozen on us. Ah, oh, there, there you go. There you move. She just standing really still. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the survival question we, we, we talked, we spoke mostly about, you know, the last two years. But, you know, Ben, what you were talking about with, you know, not just not just uh, the fan club, but Kickstarters and commissions, like the idea, I think people have this idea that you get a career in any of the arts, movies, whatever, that your job is the job. That no. if you're a comic book artist, what you're going to do is draw comic books for a page rate at a publisher. And, you yeah. know, like, what percentage of your income is that, Ben? Like 40%, you know, drawing pages for a page rate no. in a publisher, if that? No, it's probably 10%. Like, it's mm. just the last Ronin. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it's it's always a game of, you know, this will this is something I'm interested in, obviously, last Ronin, but it's also like an elevating kind of thing that I can then take you know, all those new faces and say, hey, look at what I've got here as well. And this is what I'm doing next. And and I love that about it as much as I love the turtle stuff. But but yeah, it's like, I never wanted to be, and I, I at least know now, I don't want to be just higher kind of guy. I think there's lots of people out there like that. They're just like machines, you know, like, but they don't, they don't want to run a business or, or create their own book or self-publish it or especially ship it. And things like that like those aspects like even people who do kickstarters will hire fulfillment companies because they just like thought of taping their own cardboard boxes it's just like no and uh and i've been doing all that like forever because i just have always known like closer i can get to like everything is related to what i want to be doing is at least a step in the right direction might not all be drawing but now that everything is related to what i'm doing and, and things are more successful than others and and just kind of moving i'm hoping to a like i have right now on my plate let me take jobs that i want to take right which is awesome and then i get closer and closer to last jobs and more interesting to me kind of jobs you know if if any jobs at all otherwise i'd love to run the fan club and just work on my own books that are self-published you know that i own uh, for the rest of my life um i'll always love spider-man and thor and the turtles and stuff like that so i'll dip in if asked sometimes but for me, that I never wanted to just be the work workhorse like that. Um, yeah. And I think there are and it's like there are people who get into this who really, I mean, I think I think it is the difference between being a craftsman and a creator. Of there are people who just wanted to draw Spider Man. That's that's what they wanted out of this career, and what's that's what they want, and that's a wonderful thing. And some of those people make some of the best comics, but some people wanted want more 
to do their own thing and tell their own stories. And they're, they will only be so happy drawing Spider-Man, uh, drawing Superman. I could, I would be, I'd be really happy to draw Spider-Man if I could do my own thing, like a Paul right. Pope Batman year 100 or something but for Spidey and all the villains I want to do. I love that. Uh, I felt like that to a degree with last Ronin, uh, with Kevin, because it was so go, 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 go. And like the moment we get the script, like it's already late because the deadlines don't make any sense. And so, so I'm, we're like, okay, go, 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 go. We have to create this stuff on the fly and there's no like back and forth. What do you think about this ship design or this costume? And like Kevin has his first idea. I translate it to what I would do. And then he goes, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and like, and we're just like off and running. And so it's been a lot of fun. And I was, I've gotten blessed on this project because of that. But those are the types of projects I'm interested in, I think. Um, even when I did Savage Dragon, I, Eric Larson was like, this is kind of like a thing I do where I'll give you a backup story. He's like, but it's kind of a dream fulfillment thing. So like, what do you want to draw? And I said, well, I love redesigning stuff. I love future stuff like Mobius because I don't have to like look up any reference of you know, Empire State Buildings or Grand Central Station. And uh, and I'm just like, I love that. And I and I also, I'd love to redesign him as like a bad guy with a beard. And he just let me do everything I wanted, including putting in a character I created when I was 11 years old called Switchblade. And it says, created by Ben. So like, those are the dream projects if I'm gonna be a work for hire that I would do. Um, some that like appreciate my ideas, you know. As as a footnote, I should mention I have just given Ben a script where he has to draw Grand Central Station, <laughs> which is why that example was foremost in his brain. I'll add some uh, photo reference to that in the in the Pinterest. Oh no, they're out they're out there. But if you have a specific angle you like, um, yeah, sure. Um, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful room if you've ever been in it. Um, I have. It's, I'm trying uh, to like find. I'm trying to find the shots that will give that. We're a grand central. Yeah. Like, uh, so I'm I'm trying to do like more difficult and crazy like angles and stuff. Because I just do that to myself on every page. I'm like, oh I gotta like do the last and then I'm like it comes to the final when after I've done all the rough things yep. I guess the final I'm like damn it's gonna be hard to draw. <laughs> but We're just fun. piggybacking a little bit off of that. You're always challenging Sorry. me, which is good. No, go ahead, Skyler. <laughs> Um, I was oh, no. just going to say piggybacking a little bit off of um, working on things, but having a little bit of freedom. David, when you came to me with GTFO Girl, which is going to be part of the drawing blood thing, um, that is basically Tank Girl to me. And so Tank Girl <laughs> is like a dream gig in my mind. And so yeah. when you showed up with GTFO Girl, I was like, well, this is a chance to do Tank Girl, but the way I want to with less constraints. Uh, and less pressure. Like that's another thing I think that comes with drawing anything that's established, like drawing Spider-Man or Aquaman or whatever, is mm. there's so much baggage there and there's so much history there that that can be kind of paralyzing a little bit when you first get into it and you first start drawing, you know, licensed IT. Mm. Um, so having GTFO Girl come in was kind of like a well, I can I can play around with Tank Girl that isn't really Tank Girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the you know the yeah. thing the thing that I thought made you the perfect artist for it is I saw your tank girl drawings on. Uh, that's the irony is I found you because of the visible woman hashtag on Twitter, not remembering that we had met very briefly in Albuquerque and that you were close friends with Ben and all that kind of thing. So I saw some tank girl sketches in there, and I went, "Well, this is a comic that's in universe." 
created by a young woman who's probably a big fan of Tank Girl and imitating it in her. You know, we all, when we do our first artistic <laughs> creations, they're all a little bit of all of the things that we love. There's always a oh, little yeah. bit of the things that influenced us. So the girl, the in-universe character that created GTFO Girl is absolutely going to be influenced by Tank Girl. So it was perfect mm -hmm. to connect that, you know, connect those dots. Yeah, it was, um, it was an amazing message to get. So I appreciate you reaching out. <laughs> oh, my, my pleasure. Okay, so yeah, I, I was lucky. I got the writer I wanted to write it for me. It was Amanda Diebert uh, Staggs. She's an amazing, amazing. Diebert? I always get that wrong. She's an amazing writer. Sounds right. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, I'm one of those people that believes that if you're a writer, you should be able to write anything and everything. But some part of me was like, you know, this is supposed to be written and drawn by an 18 year old girl with purple hair. And I have nothing in common with that person in the 21st century. And I could research the hell out of it and spend a lot of time looking at Tumblr blogs by 16 year olds and try to get that voice down. Or I could go a little closer to the source and hire people who are getting better at it, getting out of bed in the morning, then I would be faking it, you know? And I always mm -hmm. think that's, uh, as you know, and this is just an aside to this entire conversation, but as great, the second greatest thing in the world is getting an email saying you have the job, or maybe it's the first greatest thing in the world. But the second greatest thing, what well, jockeying for position with it is giving someone else a job. It really, not just that you're paying them, but you're like you're you're giving them an opportunity to create something that maybe they're gonna like or be, you know. I remember when Kevin and I were talking about bringing Ben on drawing blood, we were just we were both like we are gonna blow this kid's mind. <laughs> you know, he's about to get a text from Kevin Eastman saying you're working for me, kid, and that's gonna blow his mind. And it, you guys said, you, yeah, I got that email at like craziest time, like circling back to Larson's before I got seven. But I was chasing it, and Frank Bosco had like his friends with uh, Eric Larson because they did mm -hmm. all the turtle stuff when it was that image, and and he's like tagging Eric Larson and all my freaking photos on Facebook, and, like doing all this old man stuff. Like we know you're not, don't do that, don't do that, please stop. <laughs> and like, and so I don't know how Eric feels about me, and I go to talk to him at the show, and anyone who's talked to him at the show has probably got the exact same like oh, like kind of responses as he's drawing, you know, and. uh so I was like, he hates me, this sucks. And we were out drinking at HeroesCon and I got that email. I was like, guys, Kevin Eastman just emailed me and he gave me his number and I was gonna do this book. He asked what I'm doing for the whole year. And then they were like, go talk to him. And I ran outside and called, it was awesome. Yeah. It's like, well, let me show you the script first. I was like, I'm sure I'll like it, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. At that time it was just, uh, I think the only script at the time was the the TV one, which would be fun yeah. to show people someday. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think I had scripted the first issue yet. I want to yeah. circling back to you know we talked a little bit about uh, Ben's other parts of his career. Skylar, you're saying you also do commissions. That's another way that you. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, last year was actually the first year for me that I had enough interior work to sustain me. Generally, I am pulling from multiple sources of mm -hmm. diversified income streams. Because um, prior to, I had done some work for a local theater here uh, where I did like 
little prints for movies that would come out. It was like a limited thing that they would do for the opening weekend. Um, I would do conventions were a big source of income for me. Commissions, like it was just kind of pulling from a bunch of different avenues. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, last year was kind of an anomaly for me that I, I had enough interior work, uh, sequential work to keep me busy. But yeah, there's there's usually trying to maintain at least one of those streams of income, trying to make sure that there's enough coming in at some point. Cause they're usually, unless you're lucky or unless you've been working really, really hard, it's hard to get all those streams to be coming in regularly. So kind of planning for dry spells in certain places. And last year was definitely a dry spell for conventions. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a thing I've been advocating for, for years and years and years, which is- I always What do you like? I always called it the job mosaic which is, you know, have more than one thing that you can get paid for at any given time, if at all possible, because you never know when one of those things is going to fall off a cliff and you're not going to be able to do it anymore. Or, you know, the mentor that hired you into a certain career retires. I've had that happen to me a couple of times. Uh, And you just, you have to scramble and do something else. And uh, generally, if you can do perfect example that, that you just gave, like doing flyers for a local theater, you know, doing posters for a local theater. A lot of people wouldn't think of that and wouldn't even consider it part of their, you know, part of their arts career if they want to be a comic book artist. But it's a perfectly valid, you know, it's it's hyperbole, but my father once said, uh, a writer should be able to write anything from a garden seed catalog to the Holy Bible. And he absolutely lived by that. And I think there, yeah, I mean, and there are limits. There are, I have been handed projects and God, ugh, no, I can't. Um, but most of the time you go, yeah, I'll take a whack at that. I'll, I'll see what I can do with that. It, it's, it's definitely not talked about enough how scary and how like much of a roller coaster it is, like not having a weekly paycheck. You know, most of my friends, you know, every two weeks they get a certain amount of money, right? They know what they're going to do with that money. Like it makes things very, very easy. But yeah, when when you're you're living, you know, it's paycheck to paycheck and job to job. I mean, um, I mean, the film business is crazy enough. I mean, the good thing about the good thing about being a guild screenwriter is that uh, you know that comes with uh, health insurance, right? Um, you know, I mean, comic writers don't have comic artists don't have like health insurance that comes with a job. All that said. You need to earn a certain amount of money every year in order to keep your health insurance. Otherwise, so so you know, so we'll go. I mean, I I have a wife. I have a four year old daughter. We'll go eight years with uninterrupted health insurance, and then like, there's a lean year, right? And and it's like, oh well, what do we do now? <laughs> you know? That's and there's crazy. this panic. Okay, we need health insurance for for the next year or or whatever. Um, uh, you, you have to pivot. You have to find another way. And and you know the the writing in- income is so crazy. It makes financial planning impossible, right? Because like you get, you get paid in lump sums and sometimes it's a lot of money, but you don't know, does it need to last me two months? Does it need to last me two years? Um, that makes things very difficult. And, 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 you know, I'm, I've been writing, writing professionally in Hollywood for, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. And there would be a year where my tax return said six figures and then the very next year, my tax return says $15,000, right? And it's just a matter of when I'm getting paid and how things are timed out and, and, and work walls and all of that stuff. 
And so, so yeah, I mean, that Avalone hit it right on the head where Ivory, I had to learn to, to hustle. Like, you know, no matter what, it's like, oh, this tiny job. Oh, this guy needs a rewrite. Oh, um, uh, let's get a little money for some comic stuff. Oh, this, uh, something that I'm dealing with now is um, uh, there is a, 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 a very nice, very enthusiastic, very talented uh, uh, doctor uh, uh, down in Florida who wants his, uh, you know, who, who wants his graphic novel made. And so, so I'm, I'm stepping in and, and helping him get his, you know, bring his dream to life, right? I've done this a couple of times, so, so I can kind of help shepherd him through the process. And that ends up being a little money in my pocket. And, and it, you know, it's like you're saying, it's, um, you know, you, you, it can be this kind of crazy schizophrenic life because you're, you're, you have 10 balls, 12 balls in the air at all times, right? Um, and and, and you, you have to do that because whatever, every, every week, every month, like a ball or two is going to fall and hopefully you get one or two more back up in the air, right? But it is this crazy juggling act. Um, and I don't think that any of us get enough credit for that. Like, you, you, I, you know, uh, I've always, uh, I've always said that I think writers and filmmakers have an affinity for private eye stories and heist movies because it's so, it feels so much like how we live our lives. The number of writing jobs, you know, that has involved me when I like barely could afford soap, showering, shaving, putting on my best suit and driving my rattle trap car out to Beverly Hills, stepping into someone's $4 million, you know, $20 million house and hearing what I can do for them that will in result in me getting some money. <laughs> you know, like yeah, what, yeah. what goofy little thing that they, what, what project can I help them with? And making movies is any, you know, even making a comic book, there is that heist thing of like, we're gonna get together the team. <laughs> you know, we're gonna, we have an objective. We're gonna do the objective. A lot of dumbass obstacles are gonna come up between here and the objective. And if it all works out, we're gonna be millionaires at the end, you know, and it never does. And that's why we all like, that's why artists and filmmakers like heist movies, because we are familiar with the, here's my big dream and my plan. And I've got it laid out and I've got maps and I've got a script. And at the end of the day, this is gonna make us all rich and famous. And all of the professionals in the room go, or we're bleeding out on the floor of a Mexican bank. One of the, like, one of those two things is gonna ha be how this ends out. Uh, and and uh, the lesson a lot is like, every, everything goes wrong. Like that's the lesson to take from the heist is like, yeah. it never goes right. So yeah. as artists and writers, planning and being adaptable is really, really important. Yeah, and understanding the, uh, that you know, maybe I want to do this thing over here, but I'm going to need to do X, Y, Z to get there. And I yeah. think that sometimes hinders people a lot, where they they want to do that thing, so they they're afraid to start because they can't just jump into it. Yeah, and yeah. there's also the, <laughs> the there's also, and it's related to the whole job mosaic idea. There's also the putting the eggs in one basket and having only one project that you're trying to move down the road. It's always a good idea to have as many as you possibly can to protect yourself against, you know, how long certain things take to happen. And the my, one of my favorite uh, crime movies the last 20 years is called The Way of the Gun. And it's uh, an under-realized uh, masterpiece. And the line is thrown away in the movie, but I think about that line more than most lines from most movies, which is a plan is just a list of things that aren't going to happen. <laughs> And I mean, if you can keep in mind that a plan is a list of things that aren't going to happen uh, and you're prepared for when they, for when they don't happen, you know, that's the other, it's, it's that adaptability, um, 
you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a big history nerd and my favorite character from American history is Ulysses Grant. And largely because Ulysses Grant is the guy standing at the back of the field going, Oh, so that didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. Here's, here's the new way we're going to make that work, you know, and, and always learning and always improvising as the world throws nonsense at you. I don't think there's any other way to be a yeah. freelancer. If you have a plan and stick to it in this business, you are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fucked. Uh, so, you know, it's I've always been doing that. That was my entry in. And so it was always just the, the, the map of how it was always going to be was, I tried to, I wrote to Marvel when I was 11 asking for a job and they said, no, you're too young. It's like get older and get better. And then when I graduated high school, they weren't accepting submissions anymore because the movies were blowing up and used to give, you know, they'd write you back. And then, uh, so I was like, okay, so how do people do it? And you either wait in line at comic conventions with thousands of other people so they can tell you don't know how to draw hands and to come back next year <laughs> or you maybe, maybe go to art school. Yeah. And so... So I was like, okay, I'll go to art school. And then, like I said earlier, art school didn't work out because I couldn't afford it. And so it was like plan A, plan B, plan C. And it was just like, if this is what you want to do, you set goals, get goals, but your roadmap there or your list or your to-do list is always going to change. You need to be ready for it. And so then I thought the four years I was working on my first book, making the caveman 300 page thing, I thought it was going to like blow the socks off every publisher and they'd be asking me to draw spider-man and ninja turtles and it would like change my whole, whole life and and it didn't and so i was like okay what now and and when it was between like coffee shops and lobster shacks and uh portland maine tourist traps and things i was like i'd rather draw cd labels or like band posters or you know t-shirts for this local business and things like that and so anything that gets you closer to things you actually want to be doing and in the case of artists is drawing anything is always a good thing and then it's like once i got all of that now it's about getting rid of the ones I don't want to do and hoping that all those plates I've been spinning since I was 18, like, like a club or uh, a website or something, get to a point where they can exist kind of in the background um, and just happen. That's my goal, like a Mignola where I, I want and then I quit and everyone's upset and then I come back. And then like, like well, <laughs> you know, Ben, I have to say, one of the things I find inspiring about what you've been able to pull off is, you know, even at my age and with my career or whatever, like, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around, like, even having, like, a Facebook page that's, like, a fan yeah. page. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. You got to find, some, find like, some kind of fan to run it for you. And you're just like, fuck it. Ben Bishop fan club, sign on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't care. It didn't I don't... start that way. It's no, it's but it's been a. It, it's really funny. In 2016, it was like, okay, what do you not have already? And I would keep the spreadsheet, and then it was like, this is impossible. And now it's just all exclusive, all new, just to them, and it's just so much easier that way. But, but, but yeah, it's... but I, I think I, this is something that also applies across all arts industries. Uh, people prefer to jump on a moving train you know, and there is something about saying I'm a, an artist and a comic book creator and I have a fan club that makes people just naturally go, well, he must deserve a fan club because he's got a fan club. You know, like there, there's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of you have a fan club. So people join your fan club because apparently you have a fan club. 
So, you know, why? Yeah. Yeah. It's, manifest, it's manifestation. It all goes back to, it all goes back to mental health and, and all that stuff. I said, when I got, when I wasn't able to go to school anymore, they called me on the office. They said, Hey, you can't afford it anymore. If you keep going classes today, we're going to charge you hourly. And I was like, okay, I like live in Portland, Maine. I've already done a year at this school. Like, what the hell am I going to do? And I was literally walking around Monument Square in Portland and I ran into my 3D teacher because the first year at school, they just give you a bunch of stuff you don't necessarily care about. My 3D teacher who like helped us make crap out of cardboard and stuff. And I told her what had happened and she literally was like, so like you're a comic book creator, like make comic. And, and I was like, wow, if I want to make comics, why don't I just make comics? And it wasn't plan B, C, D, E. It was like, that was always the plan. And it just matters what else you're doing surrounding it. And, and so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And so it's like set goals, get goals. It's that manifestation. It's that I, I was making fake covers for turtles. And I was just like, I want to draw new turtles. And then two years into that, finally it happened. And I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, awesome. Pretty fun when it works out and you just have to believe in it. No, it sounds so but hokey, also but. related, you know, be Ben Bishop in that story, but also be the 3d teacher if you can. Be the person who says to people, yeah. why don't you just go make a comic? Because sometimes, I mean, yeah. my film career, I loved films when I was a kid. I wanted to be a filmmaker. But when I was 12 or 13, I had a friend who had richer, who had rich parents. So he had a Super 8 camera. His name was Brian Post. And he came to me and said, you know all about movies. Let's make some Super 8 movies together. And I went, oh, yeah, I go, we could just do that. We could just, we could just, you know, like, cause I got a friend now who can afford the raw yeah. film and the processing. Holy shit. We, yeah, we could just take camera and make some movies. Let's and I'm not saying that like that changed the course of my life. I probably would have figured out what to do with myself at some point. But at the age of 12 or I think it was 13, Brian Post saying, Hey, let's make some movies on a weekend with my mom's super eight camera is a legitimately life-changing milestone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Definitely. not the closest friend I ever had, not the most incisive analytical human being. He just went, who knows about movies? Oh, Dave, Dave likes movies. Dave will help me make some movies. That's, that's all it took for that person to say that life-changing thing to me. Um, so, yeah, be the, mm -hmm. be, be the teacher who says, go make the comic. Yeah, I My, Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead no, no, you, you go ahead. Do it. I was just gonna say, a similar thing happened, but it was it wasn't as a kid. It was later in life. Um, I hadn't been doing any art for a long time, but I was doing figure modeling for a little drawing class, and one of the artists in there, you know, kind of struck up a friendship and just started talking, and it was a similar thing where you know I told him, oh yeah, I used to draw. I like comics. Like I like this, this and that. Mm -hmm. It's like well then just do it. Yeah. And so you know after <clears throat> sessions, like sometimes if he wasn't working, we would just sit and draw afterwards. And so that was kind of like this little baby step process of, yeah, why don't I just do it? And so then that kind of kickstarted me off yeah, to looking exactly. into conventions and looking into making more artwork. And that slowly got me back into making art after years of not doing it. Well, one of my 3D uh, uh, teachers was Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, I, I went to the University of Michigan. I studied, among other things, film there. And because of that, I got to spend a weekend with Lawrence Kasdan, just, you know, uh, workshops, stuff like that. And I think I was 19 and I cornered him, you know, during a break or something like that. And I asked the cheese bag question of like, 
you know, oh, what's the what's the one piece of advice you have for a uh, a would be writer? And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, write. Mm -hmm. And it I said, yeah. I, 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 I said that's it. And he said, write. And and uh, and, and you know, I yeah, and yeah. I got it. You know, he he had he had communicated a million words to me with a single word, just fucking write. Right. And, uh, and I think I've, I think I've pulled that out probably a, a thousand times for other people in my, uh, in my life since then. Yeah. I, and I've heard it a million times. Like you're not a writer if you don't write or like writers who have this idea or like, and we get it a lot as comic artists. I'm sure you do Skylar, but it's like, Oh, I've got the greatest idea. Like, do you want to draw it? And, and it's like, ah, well, you know, I can't have my own ideas and things like that, but it's it's like, did you write it? And they're like, no, I'm waiting for the artist. And it's like, well, then you're not a writer and you don't have anything except an idea. Starting yeah. is the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. And, and also ideas are a dime a dozen. It's, it's always execution that makes the difference. It's funny, we were talking about Lawrence Kasdan, uh, I was talking with friends about Lawrence Kasdan yesterday. Uh, this is a very aside the point point, but Tombstone was on AMC and I've always been fascinated by the fact that it's the, it's a demonstration of how art and artistic talent absolutely cannot be predicted or quantified in any way. If the, the most side-by-side -side test you could ever give to artists, I would think is here's the same material. What do you make out of it? Mm -hmm. George Pan Cosmatos, a, B-movie director of not particularly extraordinary talent made Tombstone, which is a beautiful little gem of a masterpiece. And Lawrence Kasdan, a legitimately genius writer filmmaker, made an overblown Oscar bait, boring as shit movie with Kevin Costner called Wyatt Earp. It's mm -hmm. the same raw material and the more talented guy wasn't able to make something out of it. And I think part of it was mistaking pulp for high art. Lawrence mm -hmm. Kasdan took a pulp story and tried to make Gandhi out of it. And the guy who made B action movies went, no, this is, Wyatt Earp is worthy of nothing more than a B action movie with snappy dialogue and great staging of fight scenes. And I'll make that. And it's just one of those, it's like both Brando and Charlton Heston played Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. If you ask people who is the better actor, everyone would say Marlon Brando. If the only evidence you had was those two movies, you would think that Charlton Heston was the greatest actor who ever lived and Marlon Brando was a punk who could barely speak straight. Hmm. Just based on that work. So the matching of your talent to what you're working on and how much you care about it and, you know, what the proper way of presenting it. Like I said, I know this is a complete aside from what we're talking about. And I have a black cat also. Yeah, well, multiple <laughs> cats. Right now. So now we have two oh, cats. But anyway, all of that said, we should wrap up. We've kept you kids long enough. But oh, thank you cool. so much. This, this was great. a really great in-depth conversation about important stuff. And I'm really glad we Surviving. had you. Surviving. Yeah. It's, you, you know, I, survival is an underrated thing. Uh, and people, people don't like to admit, I think for, for people in the professional arts to go, oh shit, the stuff I have had to do to survive, it's crazy, uh, is somehow like de classe, we're not allowed to 
talk about it as though we don't spend all of our lives hanging on by our fingernails trying to get the next thing, trying to get the next project off the ground. And I think being honest about that, um, I think everyone has an assumption from the outside that if they've ever seen your name on a book in a comic book store, seen your name on a movie, oh, it's been smooth sailing for you. You've got all the benefits in the world. And it's like, <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, yeah. You know, every writer is not sir. Every writer is yeah, not was, Stephen King or Neil Gaiman, and every artist is not, you know, name name yeah. whoever the poison of the day is. But uh, all of that said, uh, we like to end by saying, where can we find you guys online, and what do you got coming up next? Uh, ben, why don't you go first? Uh, my Instagram and Twitter is just Bishart, B-I-S-H-A-R-T. Um, and then my website is it's that same word, bishart.net. And I've also got the Bishart Kids Club, bishartkidsclub.com. And that's that fan club. Um, outside of that, I mean, you can get into those and it'll lead you to everything else. Uh, like Drawing Blood and the Aggregate and Last Ronin stuff. And Last Ronin 4 is out next. Is that right? The rumor is 4 is supposed to come out next week on the 8th. Um, but there's another rumor that says it's actually the 22nd. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Ah, comic book publishing. And Skylar, where can we where can we find you? Yeah, um, my you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at skypatridge. It's S K Y E P A T R I D G E. And then my website skylarpatridge.com. Super simple. And then what I've got coming up: uh, Resonant Volume Two. So it's a collection of six through ten will be out. It's actually up for pre order right now. And that will be out in December. And then Gotham City Villains Anthology. I actually have a story in there with Dan Waters uh, and uh, Marissa Louise. And that'll be out in November, I believe. So those are the big things I've got coming up. Uh, two questions. Who's the publisher on Resonant? Resonance Vault. Vault. Okay. Yeah. Just so that people know where in the catalog. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Where in the catalog. Because <laughs> that catalog is huge. Yes. And when it's an indie publisher and you're towards the back of the phone book, you need to tell them where to find it to show their uh, their local comic. Right. And when you say Pretty Dan Waters, do you mean do you mean Daniel Waters who wrote uh, Homesick Heather's Pilots. Homesick Pilots? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The different Dan Waters than yeah. I know. And uh, Ryland, what do you got up next, and where can people? Find I you? am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it, and now I have to spell it for you. Um, the uh, Ringo award-winning Aberrants and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjacks are available in fine comic shops everywhere. Uh, you can also find my Kickstarter books, uh, my Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and my Fargo S Crime Drama, The Peacekeepers. Uh, those are available via Backerkit right now. If you go to the jump 2backerkitcom the jump one word and the number two, the jump 2backerkitcom you'll find all those. Um, that is a cool shop. It is kind of a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. Uh, you can get, uh, uh, again, the Kickstarter books, but autographed copies of Aberrant and Banjacks, rare con variants that were only available for three days in San Diego in 2019 and all that noise. Um, uh, it's the only place to get a book signed by me right now in the age of COVID. I don't do a lot of cons in general, but um, uh, anyway, you'll find everything there. Go check that out. And of course, um, check out Suicide Jockeys, my new uh, bonkers tokusatsu joint uh, available in comic shops now via SourcePoint Press. So um, yeah, check that out. And then uh, 
do one more of these. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Ah. And you can find me uh, online at davidavalonefreelance.com, which branches out to all of the various social medias. The nice thing about having an unusual name is I am incredibly easy to Google. Um, in shops now is uh, Elvira meets Vincent Price, number one. Number two will be out September 8th, I believe. Uh, also out the trade collection of uh, The Shape of Elvira, which is a satire of the movie Shape of Water, starring Elvira, where she discovers mm -hmm. that the Guillermo del Toro type director has found an actual, her co-star is an actual Brazilian river monster who he is trying to mate her with. Uh, and also coming out, I think by the end of September, is Betty Page Unbound Volume 2, also known as Invasion of the Betty Snatchers, because I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> that's it for this week. We'll uh, see you next week, and thanks for joining us on The Rangers. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.